Before I read the scripture, I'm just um, going to introduce our speaker. And Lucy, I have to apologize because I've never heard your last name before. And I don't know how to say this. <laughs> so can you? Chimiti. Well, that is easy enough. Okay. <laughs> We're delighted to have uh, Lucy Chimiti. Did I say it pretty well? She's been coming to our church now for, again, quite a while, and sometimes she isn't here because she's out speaking elsewhere. So uh, we're fortunate to have her coming to speak to us, and I'll let her tell about her own particular ministry to refugees um, when she comes up. So at this time, I'm going to read the scripture. She is speaking from Matthew 15, 21 through 28 a familiar and puzzling gospel story. So I'll give you a moment. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. See if it is puzzling to you as it is to me. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay, hopefully I'm mic'd up. I am great. Awesome. Before I share from God's Word, I'd like to take a couple of minutes to introduce myself. And my family and I have been attending Weston Park, that's us, um, since November 2018. Uh, my husband, his name's Tafodzwa, which is even harder to say than Chimidi. But it's phonetic if you, if you want to learn. And our kids, Jaden, who turns eight soon, and Malia, who's five. I grew up in Lion's Head, which is on the Bruce Peninsula. Population, 500 people. I went to Bible College in Three Hills, Alberta, which was another small town, about 3,500 people. That's still a step up from Lion's Head. Then, in 2002, I made a leap up and moved to Toronto to work with refugees at Adam House. We've lived down the road at Weston and Eglinton since 2006. However, we attended church in North York, near Young and Finch. About a year and a half ago, we decided it's time to find something, a church family closer to home. And we're so glad that we found that family in Weston Park. So thank you for your warm welcome. And for hymns like that, Beth, thank you. <laughs> I grew up on hymns like that, so it just is, it's wonderful. 
I could just picture my Aunt Pauline and Aunt Shirley banging on the piano as we sang that as a family. So, Adam House is a refugee ministry located on Gladstone Avenue near Dufferin and Bloor. Newly arrived refugee claimants live in the home and we assist them through the immigration process, which can be difficult to navigate with settlement and finding permanent housing. We have 23 beds at this location for men, women, and families, and 14 beds at our transitional home in North York for women and families. We're a Christian ministry, which means we do this in the name of Jesus. And we also share the hope of Christ through a weekly Bible study and by our staff sharing and praying with residents as they feel led. Just quickly, I want to share about different types of refugees. And then we'll get into the scripture. Um, so the two types of refugees um, are sponsored refugees and then refugee claimants. So sponsored refugees, you, there are two types, either government-sponsored or privately sponsored. So that means that someone has gone to a UN office somewhere abroad, um, like Syrians might go in Lebanon or Turkey, and they make their claim there, and the UN recognizes them as a person in need of protection. Then they can be sponsored to Canada as refugees. So when they come in, they already have permanent residence, and the sponsors look after them for a full year. For refugee claimants, the refugees that we serve at Adam House, they come into the country and then make a refugee claim. So it's a little bit different, and there's a lot of needs for refugee claimants. They come in and they're totally unsupported. They just arrive and might not know anyone. So it takes some time uh, just to help them through the process. And they go to the Immigration and Refugee Board who determines whether they're in need of protection or not. So not all refugees might stay. So I'm going to read the story that we read again about the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's tables. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This story, as Beth mentioned, is quite perplexing. Um, it, and it's also jam-packed with a lot of stuff. I'm not going to try to unpack it all today. I just want to look at one aspect of it and how it, I feel it relates to loving the stranger or refugee in our midst. First of all, how uncomfortable does this story make you feel? 
I shared this passage during our staff meeting a couple of years ago, and one of our key volunteers was shocked. Jesus called someone a dog? He couldn't recall reading or studying this passage. He couldn't believe that this was Jesus. Doesn't Jesus love and want to demonstrate that love to everyone? It's the same Jesus that gave the disciples the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And part of this is somewhat easy to explain. The Jewish people had already been given a revelation about the Messiah through the words of the prophets. The Gentiles had not. So it did not come to the people of Israel first and the Gentiles thereafter. But Jesus, who essentially called a woman a dog and refused to heal her daughter, the Jesus who changed his mind, that I think is a Jesus that we rarely think about. But that is the human and divine Jesus, fully God, fully man. We know that people change their minds. We change our minds, even about what we wore this morning, maybe, before we left. It's important to note that God doesn't change, but he does change his mind. There is a distinction. From the book of Numbers all the way to the book of James, there are over a dozen verses that say God does not change. And he doesn't. His character, who God is, never changes, even if he changes his mind. Let's look at a few times God changes his mind and how they are actually a reflection of who he is. The first one. So Abraham, he meets three men, three strangers. Two are angels, one is the Lord. And the angels go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord stays with Abraham. And the Lord decides to tell Abraham what he has in mind for Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that he is planning to destroy it because of their wicked way. And Abraham spends the next few minutes pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. He, go, he starts with, I think, about 50. If there's 50 righteous people there, will you spare it? And God says yes and goes all the way down. But God doesn't find any righteous people there, so he does destroy it, but he was willing to change his mind if there were righteous people there. So he himself says that. He changed his mind about destroying Israel when they made and worshipped a golden calf when Moses implored him not to. So Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God, and while he's up there, Aaron and the people get up to no good. They melt all their gold and they make a golden calf to worship it. The people have decided they're done with God. He led them out and put them in the middle of the wilderness. So let's find another God who's a little bit better. God knows about this, of course, finds out about this. And he tells Moses, hey, I'm going down there. I'm going to get rid of all those ungrateful people. And Moses implores him again, please don't. And God changes his mind. They repent, and he changes his mind. He also destroyed, changed his mind about destroying Nineveh when he saw that the people had repented. Jonah goes to Nineveh and pre preaches that they need to repent or God's going to destroy the city. 
And they do just that. They fast, they pray, they truly repent, and God does not destroy Nineveh. And then in Jeremiah 18.8, it says, If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. So God will show mercy. What characteristics do we see here? Firstly, that he's a just judge. He's w willing to get rid of uh, the evil, right? He hates it. But also we see mercy and we see compassion. God is and always has been merciful and compassionate. That's his character. But there's another common denominator in these instances. What sparks God's mercy? People. When people repent, God's mind is changed. So we see that even though he changes his mind, it's completely in line with who God is and elicits his, his mercy and compassion. Jesus, fully God, is changed by people too. Their plight, their faith, ignites his mercy and compassion. Gentiles aren't his mission yet when we read this passage. The children of Israel are. He doesn't see the woman and the plea for her daughter. He just sees one of the hundreds of thousands of Gentiles in his corner of the world at that time. And he says it, my children are special, you are just one of the dogs. We aren't talking about your 21st century dog baby. So when we think of dogs, sometimes this is what we think of, right? This is not the kind of dog that was around in Jesus's time. Probably more like these poor little guys up there who are suffering. You've probably seen them in different corners of the world, right? Little guys like this who are all beat up. Or maybe he was talking about guard dogs who just fight over scraps. Seems so harsh for a loving Jesus. But rather than be discouraged, the Syrophoenician woman forces Jesus to see her. Just her and her issue. Hey, Jesus, I might be a dog, but I'm not one of the masses. I'm your little dog under your table, and I'm eating the crumbs your kids drop. Please have mercy on me. And Jesus sees her. She's a woman of great faith, a woman who loves her daughter and longs to see her well. Like God is moved by compassion and changed when he sees people in the earlier examples, Jesus is moved by compassion and changed by this Gentile woman. But I think the change in Jesus is also a human one, or an attribute we've inherited from God. We too are changed by our interactions with other people, for better or for worse. Lots of reactions to our human interactions. We can have our hearts softened, or they can be hardened, compassion, anger, knowledge learned, wisdom imparted, guilt, a different perspective seen and understood, daily interactions that can change us. That can be with our parents, with our children, our spouse, our coworkers, neighbors, friends, and even perfect strangers can all elicit a kind of change in our hearts. 
there's a lot of big needs in our world. And we've already sort of talked about how that can really get us down, seeing some of those big needs in our world. But since I work with refugees, I'm going to focus on refugees today. Collectively, humankind has been changed by a photo of a refugee boy on a beach. Do you remember this picture when it came out in the news? I've used an artist's rendering because the real thing is hard to look at. Not that we shouldn't look at hard things, but it could trigger some people, and I want to be sensitive to that. This famous picture was taken four and a half years ago on September 2nd, 2015, on a beach in Turkey. Alan Kurdi, just three years old when he drowned, his family attempting to reach safety from war-torn Syria. Yet for months and years prior to his tragic death, there were pictures like this one. This picture was taken on February 12th, 2015. Now there have been numerous more taken since, but this was less than seven months before Alan Curdy died, but most people didn't see this picture. To us, they were the faceless masses, the swarms, trying to make a better life in Europe and beyond. But would a father risk the life of his children just for a better life? Refugees are fleeing more than tough economies, and little Alan's picture finally forced us to see that. Look at us individually. See the mothers and fathers, the children that are facing life and death situations and will risk their very lives to live in peace. But now that we're here, now that we've remembered refugees, will we forget again when it's not in the news every day? The crisis hasn't ended. Just as it didn't start with Alan Curdy and his family, it didn't end the day the press stopped covering it or will stop covering it. Boats are still crossing, people still dying. There's a statistic that only uh, six out of seven will make the Mediterranean crossing. So you have a chance, if you try to attempt that crossing, that you will be one in seven who, who perishes. But you know what's amazing and fills me with so much hope? It changed people. There are significantly more aid organizations devoted to rescuing refugees on the Mediterranean. Ordinary people have left their homes and their jobs to save the lives of others. Others care for refugees in camps on Greek islands. And they do that because they see the individual who wants peace and hope for a future for his or her children, just like the Syrophoenician woman did. They meet these people face to face, day in and day out, not only changed by a picture, but changed by people themselves. And Canadians, we embraced refugees from small rural towns to big cities like Vancouver and Toronto. Canadians embraced refugee sponsorship again after sort of forgetting about it for many years. By the tens of thousands, they were sponsored by the government and by ordinary people all across Canada. We also have an opportunity to be changed by people. While refugee claimants have entered Canada for decades, we currently have a crisis happening in our own backyard. 
anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, and anti-refugee sentiment and policy change in the U.S. has led to increased numbers of refugees entering Canada from the U.S. The Safe Third Country Agreement forces those seeking asylum in Canada to avoid border crossings and cross irregularly somewhere along the 6,000-kilometer-plus stretch of our unmanned, unfenced, and thankfully unwalled border. Most notably, many cross into the Canadian prairies by foot. And this guy is one such example. His name's Seydou Mohammed, and he lost all of his fingers to frostbite crossing in the prairies. Others have been smuggled in the back of transport trucks, including families who are just left in the transport trucks on the outskirts of Toronto, and then they have to get out and find their way somewhere safe and warm. In the headlines a couple of years ago, refugees crossing from Quebec into New York by the hundreds every day, Olympic Stadium used to shelter refugees. Many of those refugees making a second migration to Ontario and to Toronto. The numbers have been increasing every year. The number crossing the border irregularly has decreased, but the number of refugee claimants just continues to go up. You can see it almost doubled from 2016 to 17 and continues to rise. Almost 64,000 refugee claimants in 2019. Refugee and homeless shelters are at capacity and turn people away every day. We could see those people as faceless masses and remain unchanged, but they are all individuals with a story to tell, a story of why they had to leave their home and everything that they knew. That's some heavy stuff, and please know that you and I cannot solve this individually. We can't solve the crisis on our own, but it's good to be aware of what's happening in our country and in our city. There's a story that's made the rounds on social media for the last few years, and I don't know if it's real, but the circumstances are real. Starfish stranding occurs. So this is a picture of a whole bunch of starfish stranded on a beach. And you can find pictures online of worse strandings than this. Just the beach, you can't see sand. You just see sea creatures, including many starfish. Researchers indicate it's most likely because of big storms. So a big storm comes and they roll up onto the beach and very often die. So there's a, the story that's on social media, and I think many of you have probably heard it, is there's a man walking along some such beach that has all these starfish stranded on it, and he starts picking them up one by one and tossing them back into the water. And a couple other people are on the beach, and they're like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, you can't save them all. Look, there's hundreds of thousands of starfish up on the beach. And he says, well, it mattered for this one, and it mattered for this one. And that, to me, is such a beautiful picture of what we can do individually for people. We might not be able to save them all, but one at a time, we can make a difference for one person today. 
I want to tell you a story, a real story, an event that happened at Adam House a couple years ago that reminded me of the Syrophoenician woman and also reminded me of the starfish. I was at Adam House on Saturday for an event. It, I'm not often there. But we were enjoying brunch in the backyard when suddenly a Nigerian woman and her four daughters appeared asking for shelter. This was before the city of Toronto had contracts with hotels for housing refugee claimants. And we knew that many of the refugee families had no choice but to sleep in parks or on the street. I knew that it was highly unlikely we would find shelter for her, but we called Central Intake, which is a central referral line anyway. To make matters worse, it was a Saturday. If it had been a weekday, we could have called welfare and gotten some money for her to stay in a hotel, but that was not possible on a Saturday. So while on hold with Central Intake, I decided to try my luck with social media. What did I have to lose? So I posted this status update on the Adam House Facebook page, and then I shared it. I know that this might be a long shot, but I have to try. A mom and four girls just walked into Adam House. We have no space, and it's unlikely we will find anything for them. If you have a basement or a spare room, would you be willing to provide housing for two nights? On Monday, they can access emergency assistance to pay for a hotel. And I added, this mom and four girls will be sleeping in a park tonight unless we find them something. And their ages are from 4 to 14. Just that, no picture. But the idea of a mother and four girls sleeping in a park made people see, see homeless refugees not as numbers, but as people. That simple post was share, shared multiple times. And we had miracles happen. Two church friends offered their basements. A friend of mine from elementary school offered the guest suite in her condominium. And it wasn't free. She paid for that guest suite so that the family could stay there for the weekend. A friend of mine from Bible college offered to reimburse us for the cost of a hotel. And the pastor of a local church messaged me and asked me, how often does this happen? Maybe we should open our church for these emergency situations. And it doesn't end there. Despite our best efforts, the family didn't get an appointment with welfare on Monday. They had to wait until Tuesday. However, the condo suite was no longer available. Somebody else had booked it. I suddenly remembered that one of the families we were in daycare with, they had an Airbnb just up the street from Adam House. So they gladly offered it, not just for Monday, but until Friday when they had other guests coming. And they offered it free of charge. Still no shelter space on Friday. The family spent one night in a hotel, and then finally they found a space in a family shelter. The Airbnb hosts had this to say, we have enjoyed having them, and it's been an eye-opening experience for us. Zara has enjoyed sharing her toys and space with all the girls. Taya has been getting lots of attention, too. We also shared a meal together last night, but I think they thought our vegetarian meal was very strange. I think if you know any Nigerians, you'll know that's very true, <laughs> that vegetarianism would be weird. She reminds me of the Syrophoenician woman because she wouldn't take no for an answer. 
She implored me. She wouldn't let me send her and her girls away without finding them a place to go. She made me see her, and many others saw them and helped them too. Sure, there were likely dozens of families in the same situation that weekend all across Toronto, and we probably couldn't have helped them all, but we helped the family in front of us, and many people were changed because of that family. The Syrophoenician woman was also changed by her interaction with Jesus. Her life is forever changed. She experiences healing for her daughter, which was probably the desire of her heart for many, many years. And she had hope for a normal future. I hope that this is something that we extend to the refugees that we interact with. Guys like Seydou Mohammed, who despite losing his fingers, is ecstatic to be in Canada where he's free from persecution. In January 2017, a Syrian family, mother, father, and two-year-old daughter, came to live at Adam House. Through the process of telling their story at the Immigration and Refugee Board hearing, the wife suffered a serious mental break and was diagnosed with PTSD and depression. She went from being happy and bubbly when she first came to crying all the time and contemplating both divorce and suicide. It was a really hard time for her and her family, but the staff and volunteers loved her through it and helped in any way that we could, including praying for her. She was a Muslim woman, but we were able to counsel her and pray for her. I wanna just let you watch this video um, where she tells her own story. Hi, there I am at the Dali. I am uh, a Syrian refugee. Uh, I arrived to, uh, to Adam House three years ago with my uh, husband and little uh, daughter. Um, uh, before we came to Canada, we hadn't uh, known any uh, our, uh, people around here. Uh, we didn't have a community to support us, uh, but uh, one of our friends bring us to Adam House, alhamdulillah. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, Adam House was enough for us because uh, they were like uh, Adam House give us a home we that we couldn't have it even in our previous country. They give us uh, the family that we uh, like uh, we uh, that. We needed at that time. Uh, they uh, give us all the support, uh, the, the legal support, uh, and uh, the uh, emotional support that we needed. Uh, I uh, used to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder uh, because of the trauma I uh, had uh, lived in uh, Syria during the war. And uh, when I, I arrived here, because of the process of the refugee, uh, I uh, had like explosion of my emotion. And uh, it, I used to live the worst, uh, like uh, 
the worst time I had. It was the hardest time I I had ever lived in all my life. Uh, I was in deep depression, and when I remember that time, I even I can't recognize myself. I was the worst version of myself, but still. Uh, the staff, the community who were supporting Adam House didn't judge me. They uh, they respect like that I am suffering and I am under stress. So they support us in every detail in our in every spot in our life, even in my marriage with my husband, which I I I I I I needed at that time. Uh, during the social events that uh, Adam House host, uh, hosts, uh, we built uh, our network, which is which helped us uh, to uh, help my husband to find a job in his career as electrical engineer. Helped me to understand the process to apply for PhD. Uh, helped us to find uh, like a new uh, home and uh, and uh, the next step and uh, like uh, Joe who was, who 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 offer his uh, home uh, for the next six months uh, uh, like uh, and he host us for free because we needed at that time and. Uh, he he became one of our uh, family. Uh, Adam House gave us uh, the friends who like until now we they became uh, our best friends and uh, we meet like on uh, like weekly or one uh, one uh, once every two weeks. I think Adam House is the best, and I hope like uh, any people refugee came to Canada could have spot in Adam House or any similar shelter, uh, refugee shelter, and I hope they will have the same support that we had it at that time, because it was the place and it uh, it was a thing that that helped us to pass. And become uh, like that. We uh, help us to uh, to emerge in the in cult in Canadian community and uh, to become um, good member uh, in Canada. Thank you.